0: Our scripture reading this morning is taken from 1 Samuel chapter 16. Whenever there's lots of Old Testament names, I like to spare the readers and take, tackle it myself. And this is one of those passages here this morning. 1 Samuel 16 verses 1 to 13. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. and went to Rama. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for, for this, your word. We're thankful for uh, the stories that it contains, Father. And if we're honest about the scriptures, we know it's full of stories. Father, we pray that not only would you bring uh, this story to light and bring its meaning to our hearts alive here this morning, Father, but you would also help us to see how our stories are intimately linked with it that our stories are intimately linked with what you are doing in time and space and history. So, Father, I pray that you would open our eyes here this morning, that your spirit would speak to us. In Christ's name, amen. Well, just as Justin mentioned earlier, the start of the new year always brings a lot of reflection, doesn't it? We sit and we reflect on all the things, the good things and the bad things that happened in the past year, and we also start to reflect forward. We start to look at the year that is ahead of us, and we consider all the things that may happen and all the potentiality for change that may happen. Yet what I think is always so interesting about New Year's is, is that we look at the change that is down the road from us with incredible optimism. Normally when we think of change, we don't like it. We don't want to think about it. It's full of anxiety and worry and the unknown. Yet for some reason, there's all this optimism that comes with a new year as if we have the courage to face the change that's about to come our way. Our story this morning is an ancient story, but it's a story about change. And it's a story about one particular character named David. Now, aside from from Jesus, really no other character throughout the entire scriptures is talked about more than the character of David. Over 40 chapters of the the scriptures are devoted just to him and to his life. Almost the entire book of 1 and 2 Samuel, the first half, half of 1 Kings, almost all of 1 Chronicles deals solely with the character of David. His name is used more than 600 times in the Old Testament and over 60 times in the New Testament. And what we know from our story and from out the history of the scriptures is that he was the great ancestor of Jesus himself. And if you read throughout the scriptures, you'll see that Jesus and David are often spoke of in the very same breath. That's just how important this character of David is. Thousands of books have been written on David's life. And we often wonder, why, why is David so popular? What makes him so attractive to so many people thousands and thousands of years later? And I think the answer is because in David we see a character who is most human. He's one of the most human characters characters of all of the scriptures. He was just an ordinary shepherd boy who was chosen to be king. We look at him and we admire his courage and his bravado. We see in one story that he'll kill animals with his bare hands. And in the next story, you see him playing an instrument and creating beautiful music. He was hunted by his predecessor, Saul. He had an incredibly wonderful friendship with Jonathan. He was a great military warrior. Later in his life, he had to deal with rebellious kings. But ultimately, we know him as a great king. The great king of Israel that no one else could really live up to. But if you look at his story, you'll know that he's a deeply flawed character as well. At one point in his life, he gives in to lust and sleeps with another man's wife. And as if that isn't bad enough, he has that woman's husband killed for his own gain and he covers it up. David was broken by this sin. He wrestled with the consequences of it for the rest of his life. And even his internal wrestlings are recorded for us all throughout the book of Psalms. His kind of interior monologue or his dialogue before God in which you get to see the ups and downs, the the emotional high points and the low points of his life. Yet when all was said and done, the one thing that truly characterized David's life was that he was a man who was after God's own heart. He says of himself in Psalm 16 that he has always set the Lord before him. Eugene Peterson says this about David's story. He says, The David story, like most other Bible stories, presents us not with a polished ideal to which we aspire, but with a rough edged actuality in which we see humanity being formed. The God presence in the earth, human conditions, The David story immerses us in a reality that embraces the entire range of humanness, stretching from the deep interior of our souls to the farthest reach of our imaginations. So what we'd like to do as a church over the next few weeks is look at little snapshots in the life of David. We'll see some of his ups, we'll see some of his downs, will ultimately get caught up in his story, and ultimately, I hope, we will see ourselves in his story. But his story really begins with the passage that we read here this morning, and it is a passage that is really all about change. And it teaches us a few things about the nature of change, the very thing that we think most about at this type of, this time of year. But the first thing it tells us is that there is a great difference between change that is initiated by man and change that is eventually initiated by god there's a great change a great difference between the change initiated by man and the change that is initiated by god you know new year's eve is a time where we think about change it's a time often where we make conscious decisions to change something about our lives We set goals, we engineer steps in order to help us to achieve those goals, and when we accomplish those goals, we feel wonderful about ourselves, and when we fail at those goals, we feel pretty bad about ourselves. But these are the changes that we often like. They're the changes that we engineer ourselves. They're the changes that we feel like we can really work at. They're the changes that when we succeed at them, we feel really good about ourselves. But we all know that life presents other changes that we don't like so much. These are the ones that come with no warning. They're the changes that come in an instant that disrupt the peace and tranquility of our lives and they scare us because they give us a sense that we are not as in control of our lives as we thought we were. That we are unable to really manipulate the forces of our world as well as we think that we can. You know, the first type of change that I mentioned is really represented in the character in our story named Saul. Saul was the king of Israel, and he was the predecessor of David. If you look all throughout the Old Testament, you'll see that God does something really unique throughout the entire Old Testament. He chooses to have a very special relationship with one nation, with one people group, and they are called the Hebrew nation or the Israelite nation. It doesn't mean that God didn't have a relationship with other nations. It just meant that he chose to have a special relationship with them in order to demonstrate his character to the rest of the world. It wasn't anything special about them. It was simply a relationship that God chose to, to, to use in his graciousness for their benefit and for the demonstration of his character to the world. You follow their story all throughout the Old Testament. And when our story picks up, they have just come through a period called the Judges' Period. It was a a very, very dark period in their history. And when our story picks up this morning, you catch them right in the middle of a massive change. A massive change that involves a man whose name was Samuel. So there's Saul and then there's Samuel. Samuel was the last judge of Israel. He was a prophet who would receive word from God that he would then have to communicate to the people. And he was in charge of the the nation of Israel at a particularly dark and rebellious time. And at one point in 1 Samuel 8, the people come to Samuel. They come to him and they say, Samuel, we want a king just like all the other nations have. You see, up until this point, Israel had been what's considered a theocratic government. A government that really is defined and governed by the voice of God given to the prophets. They were unique among all the other nations, but Israel was no longer content. They wanted a king. They wanted a king just like all the other nations that were around them. They were no longer content to be ruled by God. They were no longer content to trust in the unseen. And instead, they wanted change. So they came to Saul and said, we want a king. Or they, or they came to Samuel. And then Samuel immediately warns them that well, I will give you a king. God will give you a king, but you're not going to like what you receive. He says in 1 Samuel 8, and in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. So despite all their warnings in 1 Samuel 9, Samuel finds the man in the nation who looks from the outside to be the most likely king. He was the king that was picked by popular demand. He was the most handsome. He was the most tallest. He was the one that looked like a king. So immediately Samuel anoints Saul and gives the people what they want. But almost immediately, they regret their decision. Saul's kingship starts with a great and wonderful military victory. But after that, things go south. Saul becomes Captured by all sorts of fears and anxieties, he begins to disobey the word of God. He makes rash vows, and all of a sudden, even his mental state goes into disrepair. He becomes mad, and he becomes a lunatic. And then finally, the word comes to Samuel and says, This king who you have chosen, I have now rejected. God has now closed the door on Saul. Now, if I were to look back on 2014, I would say it was the year of the doors being slammed in my life. I think that's true of some elements that were true about the church, it was definitely true of our family. There were so many changes. That I had in my mind for 2014. These were changes that I had contrived in my own head. They all laid out perfectly in my mind and they fit with my logic. Yet God so often in 2014 chose to slam the door on those changes. He chose to answer my prayers in different ways than I really expected. He chose to bring change to our church and also to my personal life and the life of our family in ways that were incredibly unexpected. In some of those instances, God has helped us to see the beauty of some of those slam doors. But in other instances, those, some of those slam doors are still a mystery, But either way, those plans or those changes that I'd contrived were foiled so often in the year 2014. You know, C.S. Lewis famously said that that when we get to heaven, we're going to spend time thanking God more for the prayers that he didn't answer than for the prayers that he chose to answer in our lives. It's why in the New Testament, James says that when we make plans, we ought to make them very loosely, recognizing that God's purposes will often prevail and often they'll look very different than what we expect. And though it may sound really cliche, often when God blocks one road, he tends to open up another road in front of us. But very often, that other road that he opens up was very unexpected or very unlikely. And it reminds us of something else that we see in our story that change that is often initiated by God often comes in very unexpected ways and often in very unextraordinary ways as well. You see, just as God had closed the path. For Saul, he graciously opened up another path for David. But that path was incredibly unextraordinary and was cr- incredibly unexpected. You see, Samuel receives word that God has rejected Saul, so he needs to now go out and find another king. Samuel has to find really sneaky ways to do this because at this point, Saul is is mad and Samuel fears for his very own life. But Samuel sneaks out and he travels to Bethlehem to the house of Jesse in order to make a fellowship offering. This would have been an incredibly massive event for Jesse's family to not only be visited by a prophet, but also to share a meal with him and to share this religious rite with them. It would have had incredible, tremendous significance for the family of Jesse. Yet, despite how significant this event was, David, the youngest son, wasn't even invited. Despite its significance, David has to go and take care of the sheep. So Jesse learns that Samuel has come. He's come to anoint the king and that one of those kings will actually be his son. But Jesse doesn't even bother to consider David. He doesn't even bother to call him and bring him in from the fields. Each one of Jesse's child is is paraded before Samuel and subsequently rejected by God until there was no other child left. Jesse looks at Samuel and he says, is this it? Is this all you have? And then Jesse responds, well, the runt of the litter, the youngest one is still out in the field. Now, I've always loved this story because I'm the youngest in my family. So any of the youngest children out there, this is a story that you're really going to like. Because in very many ways, David was an afterthought. His greatest use in this story was to simply watch the sheep while all the other important people participated in the feast. Yet just imagine his shock. When his family comes and calls him in from the field and instantly he is anointed As the next king of Israel, this was God's chosen one to be the king. The young boy that no one expected becomes the next king. And the scriptures tell us that in that moment, the Spirit of God rushed upon him because he was a man who was after God's own heart. Everyone there that morning was reminded of what may be the most important verse in this story. And that is verse 7. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You see, David's day was no different than our day. It was no different than what we judge to be as the criteria of value. Even Machiavelli himself said that men in general judge more from appearance than they do in reality. All of us will spend an inordinate amount of time in 2014 worrying about our outward, experience, our outward appearance. Millions of dollars will be spent on gym memberships and plastic surgeries and designer clothes because we believe that it will all be worth it. Why? Because we intrinsically know that we live in a culture where people are valued and judged based solely on their appearance. And it's not even that those things are bad or wrong, gym memberships and caring about our outward appearance, but the danger comes often in the unintended consequence. And that is that we ignore or forget the value of our own hearts or the caliber of the hearts of the people that God puts in our path. Instead, we become slaves to the judgment of other people who only look on our outward appearance. But what our passage reminds us, that the eyes of God, the eyes that matter most, the one whose opinion of us matters the most, judges not on our outward appearance, but instead bases his judgment on our hearts. But the sobering truth of that is that our hearts are not always as much in order as our outward appearance tends to be. In fact, the scriptures characterize our hearts in very pessimistic sorts of ways. It says in Jeremiah that our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. The caliber of our hearts as it stands before a just and holy God are not very good. And what it reminds us is that we cannot bear the judgment that we deserve because of the caliber of our hearts and that we could actually never make it to God. We could never make it on the path to God because of our hearts. So what God had to do is he had to make a new path. And it reminds us of the third point from this story, that only God can truly affect change in our hearts. And he did it through Jesus, David's ultimate descendant. There are so many connections in the scriptures between David and Jesus. There's really too many to number. Samuel finds David in Bethlehem, the very city in which Jesus was born. Hundreds of years later, a descendant of David would be born in that city. David was an unexpected king. As we saw all throughout the Christmas season, Jesus was the ultimate unexpected king. David was considered to be a shepherd. Jesus is given the title of good shepherd. And even Jesus, towards the end of his life, towards the end of his ministry, when he was hanging on the cross on our behalf, said these words. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Words that were originally spoken by his great, 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 great grandfather, David, in the book of Psalms. You see, Jesus had to utter these words because God judges according to our hearts. And our hearts needed to be rescued. God had to open up a new way, which he did through his death and resurrection. He also came as an unexpected king, not one who would conquer, but one who would allow himself to be conquered on our behalf. He was not the king that we expected, but he was the king that we most desperately needed. You know, C.S. Lewis said something else about unanswered prayer. He said the most profound unanswered prayer that was probably ever prayed was the prayer that was prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus was praying before God the Father, he asked God the Father that if it's possible that this cup could pass him. But he said, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And of course, we know that that prayer was unanswered because Jesus would have to drink from the cup of God's wrath so that your heart and my deceitful and wicked heart could be made clean. You see, our greatest need as we move into the next year is is not so much to get in better shape or to eat more healthy. The greatest human need that all of us feel is the need to have our hearts changed. And Jesus brought the change that was needed. So as we all start this new year, We have to know that beyond all our outward appearances, our greatest needs are internal. Our greatest need is for our hearts to be changed. But we can rejoice because the only thing that could truly do that, the only thing that could truly change our hearts is a powerful experience of the grace of God.